you've got your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to look at one verse this morning as we talk about the plan. Isaiah 53, verse 10. The word of the Lord. Yet, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that's before us to worship you. You created us. Father, all humanity has lived in rebellion against you. Every one of us here in this place this morning included in that number. And yet, you had a plan, a plan to redeem us, a plan to purchase us and to bring us into your family, to make us a people, a plan that would have us be your worshipers and to be your children. So this morning, fathers, we think on those things. We pray that that truth would penetrate our hearts and our minds Our devotion, our love, our worship of you would increase because of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. War planners have a phrase that's a little bit of a um, kind of a get out of jail free card, if you will, for war. And what those guys say um, is, and you may remember in the kind of the modern war era, a guy named General Norman Schwarzkopf. Storman Norman, they called him, in the first Gulf War. It was a phrase that you, if you paid attention back then, you heard him use it, and it's, it goes something like this, that no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. And basically what that means is as soon as the bullets start flying and the bombs start dropping and the tanks start rolling, whatever it was that you planned before all of that, you can throw it in the wastebasket because it is going to change. It will alter. I want to tell you something this morning. God's plan that he laid down in the very beginning, in fact, If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, you can read that plan. That plan that he laid down at the very beginning has never changed. Not one single time. He brought his plan to fruition. And this very day, you and I here together worshiping him are a part of that plan. 
I want us to look at it this morning from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. It's got three parts that we're going to see this morning. The first is part of his plan was to crush, part of his plan was to provide, and part of his plan was to enliven. So let's talk about that first part, to crush. Isaiah says here that it was the Father's will, it was the Father's pleasure to crush His Son. Have you ever really thought about that? That it was His plan, His will, some translations have, it was the pleasure of the Father to crush Him and cause Him to suffer. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, my mind instantly goes to my children. If you have children, maybe that's where your mind goes. When I was a kid, they still did spankings. I don't know. We still do those? Okay. Somebody's saying, yeah, I'm getting an affirmative. I'm not going to say who that was. Because those precious little children have never been spanked. Okay, I know that. All right. Well, we did spankings. I... I grew up in a house, and I once or twice um, came face to face with a spanking. And I remember my dad saying something along these lines. Son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Are you kidding me? (laughs) My dad would say that, and then he would unleash that belt on my bottom. I don't still know if it did any good, but, um, but he did that. But I understand now as a father how um, when my children experience pain, how painful that is for me. Whatever that form, I remember when Colin, our oldest, was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic when he was 5. And I remember being in the hospital that day, the emergency room, as they prepped him to put him in an ambulance to drive 100 miles to University Medical Center down in Jackson. And I remember him crying as they put the IV in and doctors were all around and that kid had white coat syndrome when he was born. And so it was really bad. And all of the tears and all of the pain and all of those days in the hospital, I remember praying, just saying, God, if you would just take this from him and give it to me, I will take it. So when you read Isaiah 53.10, and you read the first part of that verse, that it was the Lord's will, it was Yahweh's will, it was Jehovah's will, that he would crush his son. That's hard. A good friend, a fellow pastor, friend of mine, just learned a week ago, he's a chaplain with me in the Air National Guard over in Mississippi. His son was diagnosed with leukemia. And I talked to him on the phone this week. And he said, this is the hardest thing I have ever gone through, having my son diagnosed with leukemia. And right here, Isaiah tells us that it was the Lord's will. His plan was to crush his son. He took 
pleasure in crushing his son. And why did he do it? So that's the question. Why did he do it? What does the Bible tell us? Because he loved us. He crushed his son because he loves us. Isaiah doesn't say that right here, but John says it in 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world. To do what? To die. To receive the penalty for our sin. To take it upon himself. That is remarkable. God loved you. He loved me. He loved us so much that he planned and he took pleasure in crushing his son for us. I want you to listen to Paul's application of that very truth in Romans chapter 8. It begins in verse 31. Just listen. Listen to how he wraps up the plan to send his son to be crushed with today. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he says this, he who did not spare his own son, verse 32, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him, what? Graciously give us all things. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? No one. Christ who died. More than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Here's Paul's logic is this. If God would give his own son if he would purpose that Jesus would come into the world and that he would crush him and cause him to suffer for us, if he would do that, then will he not give us everything we not want, need? Will he withhold anything that we need for life and godliness here and now? What is Paul's answer? Absolutely not. If he would offer him, if he would offer him that way for us, he will give us everything. If he purposed for for Jesus to come and be crushed, if that was his plan, then he will withhold no good thing. Here's the logic. What sense would it make for God to plan to send Jesus into the world and then leave us wanting on the back end? That's the logic that Paul gives. And of course the answer is He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He has provided for us everything that we need for life and for godliness. For life and for living as he purposed for us to live. Do you believe that? Are you experiencing that? Do you know that to be true in your life today? Here's the second part. The second part is to provide. The Father's will was to provide the Son as a sin offering for you and I to meet the greatest need that we have. Look at it. It was the Lord's will to crush Him and cause Him to suffer. And though the Lord makes His life an offering for sin. 
theologians have a big, there's a big fancy word. We didn't come up with it. It's actually, it's actually in the text in a number of places. But we have a, there's a big word for this, and it's called propitiation. All right? You can write that one down, and you can go look it up. Or I can just tell you. Propitiation. Christ was a propitiation for our sins, or he was a propitiatory sacrifice. Okay? First John chapter 4, verse 10 is a location if you want to go. You can, you can look it up there. And, and John says there, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, this is, this is the NAS, a propitiation for our sins. Now what does that mean? Here's what that means. That Christ is a propitiatory sacrifice means that he turns the wrath of God away from us. Or he takes it himself. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 is another verse that gives you the sense of that, right? God made him who knew no sin to be sin, right? So God treated Christ as if he were a sinner. That is, he punished him. He poured his wrath out on him instead of you. That means, right, that he turned the wrath of God away from you to himself, and he took that penalty for you and for me. That's what it means that Christ is our propitiation. That's what it means that he is a sacrifice for our sin. Listen to the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin. When I was a little boy, um, <laughs> my mouth was often what got me the spankings, okay? But when I was a little guy, especially I remember when we lived in California, we lived in San Bernardino, recently in the news, and I went to, I started out at Del Rosa Elementary School. Del Rosa was about three blocks from our house. And, um, and I spent the fourth and fifth grade at Del Rosa Elementary. And there were many days, and I remember one of them in particular, where my mouth got a little ahead of me with some boys at school. And they were telling me all day, just wait till we get out of school and we are going to beat you up. And the bell rang and I hit the door going about 90. And it was the whole way I ran, I ran all three blocks looking over my shoulder with a gang of boys running after me all the way to the house. And I hit the door, and I got inside, and my dad was there. And, uh, and I remember him having to go out and tell those boys that, who were standing out on the sidewalk, saying, you come out here, all sorts of fun things. And my dad having to go out, and as it were, absorb the wrath of those boys for me. Right? I mean, I was scared to death 
if those kids caught me, I wasn't going to make it. And so my dad went out and he absorbed their wrath for me. Same kind of idea. Except we're talking about the eternal, white-hot wrath of God that burns towards sin. And the Bible says that Jesus took it for us. That's what the birth is all about. That's what the incarnation is all about. Here's why. Because Jesus, when he came down to the world, Paul tells us in in 1 Corinthians 15.45, Paul tells us that when Jesus came down, he came as, Paul's words, the second man, Adam. The second Adam. Jesus was the second Adam. So where the first Adam had failed in the garden with respect to being obedient to the law, it was necessary for God to send another representative for man into the world. And so Jesus came into the world, and so we talk about his birth, and we celebrate this birth, right? Born of a virgin, and and all of that has tremendous theological significance. Born of a man, born of a woman, Seed of the the, uh, Spirit and all of that. Why? Because he would grow up and he would be completely obedient to the law's demands. Where first Adam had failed, the second Adam succeeded. And he needed to be that perfect sacrifice for us. And he needed to fulfill the law's demands so that that righteousness would then come to our account. And so all bound up then in this being a sin offering is this birth, right? Jesus being born into the world. And, and, and like you and I having flesh and bone and growing up, Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, yet he was without sin. So important, so critical because he couldn't be the sin offering we needed. He could not turn away the wrath of God from us were he not the perfect son. And that's why it's so critical. That's why it's so important. That's why the celebration of his birth isn't just about a cute, cuddly baby in a manger. It's about the son of God coming and tabernacling among us and living complete obedience to the will of the Father. So, The plan was that the father would crush his son, that his son would provide for us this propitiatory role, the sacrifice of atonement, this sin offering. But then the third part is that he would, the plan was that he would enliven both the Savior and the Savior's seed. He says it. He says he will be his, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Here's Eugene Peterson again. Listen to the way he says it. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. 
and God's plan will deeply prosper through him. That was God's plan all along. Listen, if you go back, if we go back and we look at the promise to Abraham, one of the things that we see in the promise to Abraham was that he would be the father of a great multitude. Now, Abraham and Sarah didn't have children yet, so it was an amazing, miraculous thing that they could, that they could be this to the world. But God promised them that they would have a, a, a seed, that they would have a people come from them so numerous that you couldn't count it. And so when you listen here to what Isaiah is saying, he's picking up on that promise a little bit in the plan. Yes, God will have a people, and those people will be numerous, and they will multiply, and they will grow. So think about it. By being crushed, by becoming a propitiation for our sins, Jesus took hold of life for you and for me, real substantive life. And then he made you a part of his body. He made you a part of his people. And he's growing us. I want you to listen to a little section out of Romans 8 again as the Apostle Paul describes this idea of life coming from our being connected to Jesus. He says this, But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. This is Eugene Peterson. But for you who welcome him, in him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you were delivered from that dead life. And with his spirit living in, in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. Isn't that neat? Isn't that amazing to think about? Listen, God made Christ alive, and when he did, okay, all of these promises begin to come to fruition. And there was a people associated with that. And you and I are a part of that number. And as he has made us alive with his spirit, individually, you're alive in Christ. And corporately, you're alive in Christ. Listen, that is why what we do here is so important. That's why this body, this gathering, is so absolutely critical for you and me. Because he never intended for you to be alone. He didn't just save you. He saved you and he put you in his church. So that you would interact. So that you would, there would be life on life. There would be an, a sharpening effect as your life comes in contact with other lives. 
your gifts for their good, their gifts for your good. That's why the body of Christ, that's why this church and you being here is so important. Because you bring life to me and I bring life to you because we're the body of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 8. And so, which is the fulfillment of the promise and the plan when you go back to Isaiah 53.10. He crushed him. He made him an atonement for sin so that he might have a people who are alive. Are you alive? Yes. Are we alive together? Yes. And that is a part. That is one of the aspects of his plan. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have heard of a man named John Howland? Honestly, how many of you have heard of John Howland? This is going to be fun. John Howland came to this country in 16-something on a ship that you may be familiar with. The Mayflower. Heard of the Mayflower? Okay. John Hallen came over on the Mayflower. And unbeknownst to you and me until just recently, he is probably um, the most, one of the most significant characters to come over on this ship. When he came over, he was, uh, he was a servant to a man named Carter. And he came over here, and uh, he had 10 children, 80 grandchildren, and a multitude of other folks, a few you may be familiar with. How many of you have heard of a guy named Franklin Delano Roosevelt, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush? Some of those names ring a bell to you? How about names like Emerson, Longfellow, Bogart? This one doesn't really, you'll probably know who this is, but not as big a deal to us necessarily. A guy named Joseph Smith. All of them trace their lineage to a guy named John Howland. And John Howland almost didn't make it. Because he fell overboard while on the Mayflower in the middle of the Atlantic during a storm. And he grabbed hold of, miraculously, he grabbed hold of a trailing line, a rope that was in the ocean trailing behind the Mayflower. Somehow he grabbed hold of it. And he trailed along behind that ship before they realized he had gone overboard. And they pulled him in with fish hooks, saving his life. Today, there's a John Howland Society. Two million people in this country trace their lineage to John Howland. Two million people today have life because John Howland survived falling into the Atlantic Ocean while sailing over to this country on the Mayflower. Three of your presidents and a number of other significant people are alive and have lived because John Howland survived, because he brought them life. 
Isaiah tells us that the one who would be crushed by the Father would also provide for those who would turn to him. He would, through tragedy, the tragedy of the crucifixion, become a sin offering. And he would make it possible for us to live, for us to have life. It's an amazing story. The plan that God instituted, the plan that God brought about in order to bring life to you and I, it's completely unimaginable were we to dream it up. It makes absolutely no sense in the human mind and heart. And yet, Isaiah 53.10 says, this is what God has purposed. The plan was that Christ would rescue you from the tragic fate that he himself endured so that you might know life, so that you might bring it to others, that they might be a part of what you and I are already experiencing. This is the season, isn't it, for life. Let's pray. Father, we would stop and pause right now to come before you to offer our thanks for the plan, a plan that had you crushing your own son, a plan that had you offering him up that he would provide a sin offering for us, a plan that had you enlivening us on account of him. Father, we thank you, we praise you this day as we go into this Christmas season, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior this week. Let us not lose sight of your good and perfect plan for us. Make us alive. Give us the message of hope for the world around us that they too may know new life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.